You know, you come into beautiful mornings like this in the springtime, and I don't know about you, but part of what begins to happen with me in, in these kind of days is I start thinking towards summer. I don't know if that happens to anybody else. I start thinking out ahead, and, and I start thinking about, oh, you know, I love summer. I love what happens with summer. Uh, I particularly, I love vacations that happen in summer, I guess. That's kind of where my head starts to go, and, and I think of, you know, man, beautiful day, and man, there's some wonderful days ahead, and I start kind of projecting out and, and thinking about vacations, and, and uh, if you're thinking about that right now, I want you to stay here. I want to stay in the room, okay? Don't, don't like, go out there. Just, this is just the starting place. And, you know, uh, I tell you, about 10 years ago, uh, my son and one of his friends, they, they were both college sophomores, I think, and, and their summer break came, and, you know, they thought, well, what are we going to do on our, our vacation? And what they decided to do, they decided they were going to hike the Continental Divide. They're going to hike that co- part of the Continental Divide. And I thought, man, this, what? How exciting, you know, to be two young guys and you're kind of heading off there on the, in the, on the top of the peaks and you're, you're hiking along that divide. And, and uh, man, it, just, it was such a wonderful picture. And it probably would have been a great and wonderful experience if they would have given it more than two days' notice. I mean, what you got here is you got two college sophomores who on a Friday night got together and decided on Monday they were going to hike the divide, you know? And, and so what they do is on, you know, Saturday they go to REI and they rent their gear. Sunday they go to the grocery store and they Google, you know, what trails they're going to hike. And then Monday they pack it all up in the Ford F-150. Off they go, you know? And so off they go and, you know, I thought, oh my God, uh, bless them, you know? <laughs> Probably as a parent, I should have been more responsible, but you know, they're 20, they, you know, they're going to do what they're going to do. And so off they go, and, and they come back at the end of the week, and I say, well, hey, you know, how did it go? What was it like? And my son said, well, we survived. <laughs> uh, oh, man, this was not, this was not, you know, when they went, it was great expectations when they came back, you know, not somebody, well, tell me what happened. Well, you know, we got up there, and, and what we found out was that, you know, it's a lot colder up there than we thought it was, was going to be. And, you know, we had, got, we had rented our gear with this kind of thermal rating, you know, our, our sleeping bags, and it was about 40 degrees colder than we thought it was going to be up there on the top of the mountains. And, and not only that, you know, it, it was really wet in June in the top of the divide, you know? And we hadn't planned on that either. Uh, we, you know, we didn't have the slickers, you know. So, so we were wet and our gear was wet and it was cold. And, and, and you know, we are flatlanders. And, and we did not know that when you go up to like how many umpteen thousand feet, you know, to start hiking, we grossly overestimated, you know, how many miles we could make per day. You know, I mean, grossly overestimated, only half, you know, anyway, but, and then by about the fourth day, they ate, like, most of the food. I mean, what would you expect from a couple of college guys? You know, so, anyway, you know, this was their great adventure experience, you know, and and I said, you know, hey, you know, what, you know, what do you think might have made it better? You know, they said, well, it probably would have been better if we were equipped. You know, experience probably would have been better if we were better equipped. You know, I think that's a truth about life. The experiences of life are better if we are better equipped. The adventures of life are better 
if we are better equipped. You can say that about so many aspects of life, and I can tell you we can also say that about church life. He can also say that about our lives as, Jesus, as followers of Jesus Christ. You see, as followers of Jesus Christ, we are invited into a, an exciting, great, and wonderful mission to share the love of Jesus Christ with the people of our lives, with our families, with our friends, with our coworkers, with our neighbors, you know, with our community. We are invited into that great adventure. You know, we have this short version I told you about last week. We share love, we shape lives. We're invited into that in Jesus Christ. In ways that as we do that, we begin to see how God would touch people. How God would shape people. People who are close to us. People who are a little bit further away from us. How God would touch and shape people. How God would begin to show God's goodness and God's grace and God's glory in and through their lives. And we are invited into that adventure. And I want to tell you, friends... They call that the Great Commission. And God wants to equip you and I for that great adventure, for that great commission, in through a great connection. See, when we look at the Great Commission, and last week we looked at this, and it's from Matthew 28, and what Jesus says at the end of the book of Matthew, he says, go and make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to observe everything I've commanded you, and lo, I am with you always. I mean, that's the last words that Jesus says in the Gospel of Matthew, I am with you always. He doesn't say that just to have a nice closer. Those are, that's not a throwaway tagline. What that is is a promise of God to you and to me. And what we're invited to do as people of faith is to begin to build that promise that Jesus is with us, that connection that Jesus is with us always into our lives. So that as we go out to make disciples, we know that the mission that we're on, that great adventure that we are on, that Jesus is equipping you for that, that Jesus is equipping me for that, and that Jesus has promised to come alongside of us so that he equips us, it can be the great experience that you desire and that I desire. And over the next couple of weeks, we're going to be looking into how that great connection is made. And it is made in what we traditionally call in the Christian church spiritual disciplines. And so we're going to be looking at the connection this morning in light of worship, next week in light of sacrament, the following week, in light of witness, we're going to be looking at in terms of scripture and prayer. We're going to be seeing how Christ would equip you and I through all those spiritual disciplines. You know, spiritual disciplines for the sake of making disciples. You may have studied all this before, but basically I think what's going to make it a little bit different as we look at this, this is going to be an outcome-based approach on how we look at Jesus making a connection with you and with me. So then we can go and we can live our lives as people of faith. And it all starts with worship. Worship is the heartbeat of how God begins to make connection with you and with me. And we see this in the scripture this morning as we look at the experience of Isaiah. See what happens is Isaiah comes into the sanctuary, comes into the place of worship. And as he comes in, what he finds is that God is there in that place. 
that God's majesty and glory is in that place of worship. And as that majesty and glory is in that place of worship, what happens for Isaiah is he goes through this transformation where he comes in and he realizes, you know, woe is me. You know, I'm a person of unclean lips among a people of unclean lips. And he goes from that place to a place where at the end of worship he says, here I am, send me. There is, a, there is a transition, a transformation that happens within the context of that worship experience. And I want to tell you, I think that same transition is possible for you and for me. I think the same experience is possible for you and for me in worship. And you may ask, well, how does that happen? And I think that's a great question to ask. How does that happen? In the one hour that you and I give when we come in here, you know, what happens? How does that happen in here? And what I want to do this morning is invite you to ask that question. And I want to invite you to then back up just one step behind that question and ask this question. What do you expect to happen when you come in here? What do you expect to happen when you give the one hour that we give every week when we come to this place? You know, what, what are you looking for when you walk through the doors and when you sit in the pews? You know, and I know the answer to that is as many as there are people in the room. You know, I, you know, so I know for me, it's kind of, I would want to feel better you know, when I leave than when I came. I would always hope that. I would expect that. You know, I would hope I'd expect that preacher had something to say. I'd hope and expect the choir would bless us, and you always do with beautiful music. You know, I would hope and expect that I would come closer to God. I'd hope and expect that I'd learn something. I didn't know there, you, you may have, everybody has a different answer. But what I want to invite you to do is to think about your expectations. Because I want to share with you, friends, what I find, and I think probably what you find too, that an experience that we have hardly ever exceeds our expectations. And if we come in here with low expectations, we're probably going to have a low experience. And if we come in here with high expectations, I want to tell you that begins to open up the door in terms of a greater experience. And so what I'm going to do this morning is I'm going to challenge you to raise your expectations. To whatever you walked in here with, whatever your answer is, I want to challenge you to raise your expectations because when Isaiah came in the scripture this morning, he is where he experienced that God was in the house. Is that an expectation that you carry when you come in here? That God is in the house? That God is in this place? I want to tell you, when you worship with that expectation that God is in the house, that God is in this place, that changes It changes your experience of worship. I'm going to invite you to raise your expectations because when God is in the house, the notion of encountering God, the notion of engaging with God, the notion of being equipped by God, all of a sudden that all starts to become a possibility. But it starts out with that essential expectation. God is in the house. So I'm going to invite you to raise your expectations. And the second thing I'm going to invite you to do, even as I invite you to do that, I'm going to invite you to also raise your investment. And what I mean by that is when you come in and you have high expectations, I'm going to invite you to invest in that. Invest yourself in the experience and how you and I participate in the experience. Again, what I find is that experiences don't really go above expectations 
and that returns. Whatever return we get from any experience in life usually doesn't or never exceeds our investments, you know? I mean, you gotta invest to get a return. And that's true financially. It's true with friendships. It's true when I go to the gym, I gotta work out so, you know, I can get stronger, and it's true spiritually. You know, you, you come and you invest. And when you invest, that's when we start to get the return. And here's what I mean by invest. You know, sometimes when you come to worship, there's one approach that comes into worship that I call a spectator approach. And here's the spectator approach. We walk through the door, we sit down in the pew, we say, okay, I'm ready. Let's see what the preacher's got to say. Let's see what the choir's got to say. Let's see what John's got to play. Let's see if, you know, let's see how good it's going to be this morning. Hopefully, we try to make it good every week. I want to let you know this is, you know, we try to come in a way that you can say, you know, wow, that was, that was pretty good, you know. We try to do that every week, but you know what? That's not the point of worship, the wow. That's not the point of what goes on here. Don't come as a spectator. Come as a player. Come as a player. And whether you think about that as a team sport, or whether you think about that as a player in the orchestra or a singer in the choir, come as somebody who is ready to participate in what a group is doing together. The classic definition of worship in the Christian church is this. It is the work of the people of God. That's the classic definition. And so what happens when we come together We come together as those who are all players on the same team. We're all in the same orchestra. We're all in the same choir. And what we do together matters. What you and I do together matters in terms of how our hearts and lives are touched, the experiences that we have, and the way that these experiences here begin to equip us for what lies out ahead. So so what do we do together that, that matters? Well, there are three things that we do, and Isaiah, the text today, begins to outline these. And the first thing is that, that as we come together and as we believe God is in the house, we praise God. Worship always starts with adoration. Isaiah comes in and says, God is high and lifted up. That's what we do together when we start out. God is high and lifted up. Remember the opening hymn we sang this morning? Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Oh, my soul, praise him. God is my health and salvation. Hallelujah. Amen. No, we didn't say that. I mean, but it's kind of like we are lifting God up in praise. And we do that because we know that that's what God is about. God is magnificent. God is majestic. That praise is how we begin to connect with that. That's how we we open upwards. You know, the scripture says this morning that God was seated on the throne. What you and I do when we worship is we enthrone God in our hearts as the king of our lives. The psalmist says this, that God is enthroned on the praises of his people. And when you and I come, the first thing we do together is we enthrone God high and lifted up. And the praises that we share together, we open upwards. And in the light of that goodness, in the light of that glory, what we do next is we open inward. We're invited to look at our lives in the light of that goodness and glory and grace of God. We're invited to take a different perspective on life, on my life. (laughs) And you're like, because I usually don't try to look at my life kind of through the eyes of God. But worship invites us to do that. 
is to come into that place where, where we look at ourselves. And, and you know, when the psalmist does that, it, it, it's pretty amazing. In Psalm 8, he says, he, he first talks about, you know, how God is so wonderful. I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, everything you've made. And then he asks the question, well, who am I that you're mindful of me? And who am I that you care about me? You know, I mean, what begins to happen, he looks at the huge magnificence of God and it begins to sense, you know what? I'm not as significant as I might have thought. What he begins to realize, what Isaiah begins to realize is he uses, when he begins to look at his life and he begins to look inward, he uses the word woe, W-O-E. And I would use that same word, but I don't know if I'd spell it the same way. I would spell it probably W-H-O-A, like, whoa. <laughs> like, when I look inside, whoa. I mean, like, what is going on? When I look inside, you know, what I don't see, when I look inside is the great connect with God. When I look inside is well, what I see is the great disconnect. You know, what I begin to see is how as I live my life, I kind of live my life in this little bubble where I'm trying to figure out, keep my life together, and I do this stuff that kind of preoccupies my mind and is on my calendar and is in my agenda, and, and that's what I do. And I kind of live my life kind of focused in, in that, kind of swirling around in that. And as I live my life there, I, I find that, you know, a lot of times I'm living my life with others who are kind of doing pretty much the same thing. And sometimes that works out pretty good. And sometimes it doesn't work out so good. <laughs> you know? Sometimes what begins to happen is there becomes a disconnect. There becomes a disconnect between myself and the people I love the most or dearest in my life. Sometimes there's a disconnect with my coworkers. You know, we don't see things eye to eye and it becomes that growing disconnect. Sometimes what you see is there's a disconnect between myself and how I want to live my life, my best self, and how I have lived my life, which may not be my best self. You know, you begin to look at your life and you say, you know what? What I see is a disconnect. I want to tell you, friends, that is an important part of worship, a really important part of worship. Because when we say that God loves you and God loves me, we're talking about all of you. We're talking about the good part of you, the religious part of you, the, the, the pleasing to God part of you. And we're talking about the shadow side of you. We're talking about the dark side of you. We're talking about the side of you and the side of me that we don't show to other people that we know in our hearts when we look into ourselves. You know, we say it's there and I'm not quite sure what to do with it. Well, in worship, what we're invited to do is bring all of it. You know, the light side, the shadow side, be an integrated whole person. You bring it all to God and say, God, as I look in, here is what I say. Here is who I am. That's what Isaiah did. That's why he says, whoa, you know, whoa. And here's what you and I find when we do that. As we bring that forward to God, that great disconnect, that what God's will is, is for a great connect. That what we find is we have a God who is committed to connection with you and with me, and the way that we experience that in the scripture this morning is, is through the, the coal from the altar. With that coal is taken from the altar and placed on Isaiah's lips, and with it comes the word, your sin is forgiven and your guilt is gone. 
And I'll tell you, friends, we don't have a coal on the altar. You know what we have on the altar? We have a cross on the altar. And the words are the same. Your sin is forgiven, and your guilt is gone. You see, we have a God who is committed to connection. And even in the midst of our disconnection, when we look in, God says, you know, I am there for you. I am with you always. Nothing shall separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. So when we look inwards, we can be who we are in the eyes of God. I know that what God does is God embraces us in that place. And as God embraces you and I in that place, then we move on to the third thing that we do together. And the third thing that we do together, we open up, we look in, then all of a sudden what we do is we open out. We look out. Because what we begin to realize is that the love that God has for you and the love that God has for me and the grace that God has for you, the grace that God has for me and the connection God makes with you, the connection God makes with me is not simply for you. It's not simply for me. It's not simply for us. It is for everyone. For everyone. All over the world. But particularly, when you just drive down the street, you start looking at the people, you know? I mean, we're going to leave here in just a second. We're just going to drive down the street. I want you to know God wants to make a connection with each and every one of those people. And with the people at your workplace. And with the neighbors who are walking their dog this morning, you know. <laughs> God wants to make that connection. And the way that God makes that connection is God asks the question, Who will I send? Who will go for me? Do you hear the point of the question? Whom will I send? Who will go for me? What do you think the answer is? How is God going to make that connection? That great connection? Here I am. Send me. Here you are. Send me. See, it's the amazing part of the gospel that what God chooses to do when God wants to make that great connection is God uses you and me to make that connection. That's what Jesus does when he gives the great commission. That's what Isaiah does when he comes to the end of the scripture this morning and says, here I am, send me. What's being said there is that God wants to work in and through us, bring the gospel in and through us, Take that great adventure in and through us so that that great, gracious love begins to embrace the world. And so what happens in worship? What we do in this hour, it counts. It really matters. It really counts. This is one hour that conditions every, the other 167 hours in the week. When we come to worship, what that does is equips you and equips me to engage in the world. The worship and the world, they go together. They belong together. It's not like the worship is an escape from the world. It's that worship is an equipping to engage the world. So that's what happens in this one hour. I tell you, friends, I need this hour. I don't know about you, but I need this time every week 
to go through that kind of the spiritual, the, the, you know, the, it's kind of like going through a spiritual exercise, the worship experience, to go out, open up, to open in, to open out, to do it together, to do it together, to find the strength that's here as we do it together, and to know that as we do it together, and then I'm equipped, and then I'm ready to go out and to do it with others who so need me and so need you to share that grace of Jesus Christ. You know, our final hymn celebrates it so beautifully. It starts out with the opening up, I, the Lord of sea and skies. You know, that great majesty of God. Then it begins to open in. I've heard my people cry. Everybody who dwells in dark and sin, my hand will save. And it comes toward the stands in the hymn where it begins to open out. Whom shall I send? And here's what the hymn says, and here's what we're going to sing, and here's what I invite you to embrace and say. Sing it to God. Say it to yourself. Get ready to live it as we go forth. Here I am, Lord. He said, I, Lord, I've heard you calling. I've heard you calling in the night. I will go, Lord. I will go because you lead me. And I will hold your people in my heart.